0: good morning. Well, uh, so at different times in my life, I've been really good at faking it. One of those instances was when I was in middle school, I transferred to a new school, and one of the requirements at this school was that you had to either do band or choir. So I did the 12-year-old boy hard think on that and just pretty much flipped a coin and decided on band which meant that i had to choose an instrument which meant that band was the wrong choice for me to make but uh so i started thinking through i was like drums uh too much equipment uh like cello or violin no then i i have to practice too much um Let's see. What else is there? Flute? No, definitely not. I'm a 12-year-old boy. I don't want to do that one. Uh, Trumpet. There we go. Now that's something I can sit with. That's good right there. So I told my parents, I told the school, I said, Trumpet it is. That's what I'm going to do. My parents borrowed a trumpet from somebody in our church, and I started to practice. I learned for about two months, and then I realized That in order to play the trumpet, you have to practice a long time, and you sound horrible at first, like legitimately bad, and you have to hear yourself because it's really loud. So after about two months of sounding really, really bad, I decided that it wasn't worth it. But I still had to be in band because that's what I chose. So instead of actually learning how to play the trumpet, which would be the smart thing, I learned how to fake playing the trumpet. So I learned where the notes needed to be played. I'd pull the slide in and out. I'd puff out my cheeks to just the right amount of air and purse my lips just to get the right fish face as I was playing. And I'd do that, and I'd sit in band, and I'd do this the whole time, and I'd pretend like I knew what I was doing without a sound coming out of the trumpet. Not a single sound, because if an actual sound came out, it would be bad news. so I just sat there and pretended like I knew what I was doing. I'd even emptied the spit valve from time to time because you have to do that with a trumpet when you're actually using it until and I made it for about a year doing this. I had no ambition, I didn't need to be first. I was happy to be the last chair and band in the trumpet section, like there was no nothing like built up in this. I didn't need to be like the world's greatest fake trumpet player. I just need to get my grade and move on for a year. And then it happens. I was sitting there pretending to play along with everybody else and air came out of my lips. It escaped and it went all the way through the trumpet and it came out the other side. And let me tell you, it sounded horrendous, like real bad. And guess what the band director did? He stopped everyone. And he pointed at the trumpet section. He said, one by one, I want each of you to play that for me. So I'm like pouring down sweat. Because it's one thing to fake when everybody else is playing. It's another thing to fake when it's a solo. So I'm like what am I going to do? I legitimately cannot play this. I have no idea how to play this thing with everybody listening. Like, what am I going to do? So I'm sitting there and the first person goes and the second person goes and the third person goes. And now I'm getting really nervous. I'm like, okay, I got to make a decision. What am I going to do? So finally it's my turn. He turns to me and I knew the jig was up. So I took my trumpet. I placed it in my trumpet case. I latched it. I picked up my book bag and my case. I walked myself right out of that room, straight into study hall, sat down, and never darkened the door of the band room again. I don't even think I told the band director that I was out. I just told like the guidance counselor like I need a switch. I did my time. I'm done. Never to go back again. So... This unfortunately was a little bit of a trend in my life for many years, because I had I was kind of unwilling to put my whole self into something. So instead, I just did the bare minimum. I was the smart kid that got Bs because I didn't want to risk not getting a good grade when I actually tried. Uh, gr- I didn't want to finish my degree in college. It took me. Eight years of going back and forth, back and forth to finish my bachelor's degree because I didn't want to make a decision. I was too afraid of what would happen if I actually made a decision. What would go on in my life at that point? How would I risk in that way? I was kind of petrified of taking a risk and putting my whole self into it. Really until I was in my late 20s and I moved to go to seminary. And then my life's changed in crazy ways ever since then. But I was petrified by that. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about risk. And I want to look at the life of Rahab from the Old Testament. We see her story in the Old Testament book of Joshua chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, you want to open up to there. Rahab is kind of an unlikely teachable figure. She's a prostitute. And... I think we can learn a lot from how she was willing to kind of put her whole life on the line to risk for God and what God was inviting her into. So that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the change that can come in that way. Let's pray. And then we'll jump into Joshua chapter two. We just say, thank you, Jesus. I thank you for this space. I thank you for the, uh, the, the work that's gone in for the blessing that it is to our church. And I just pray for this space, uh, for each part of the remodel that we've done, to be a blessing not just to our church, but a blessing to our communities. I pray that people will come in and will meet you in this space, uh, that this will be a place where people from all over this area are connecting with Jesus. Uh, That's what we want more than anything, more than just having a prettier space to look at. We want a place that is filled with your presence, where people do find freedom, where people find wholeness, where they find you. And so we ask for that. I pray that this morning, Jesus, that you will speak to us, speak to us about ways that you're asking us to risk, ways that you're asking us to step out of the boat, so to speak, to jump when you've asked us to jump. Give us an awareness of your voice this morning as we listen to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Joshua 2, verses 1 through 3. If you need a Bible, we have Bibles in different spots, but they're still around the side and in the back. You can feel free to grab one at any time. Here's what it says. Then Joshua secretly sent two spies. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here to spy out the land. So the king sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the land. So here we have Rahab. She's a well-known Prostitute. She's probably decently wealthy. Uh, she's well enough known that the spies knew to look for housing there and that the king knew where they were at. So people know her. What I'm not going to focus on is the fact that she's a prostitute and the morality fact that the spies were staying at the home of a prostitute. You can connect those dots. Uh, probably not the most innocent of situations, but those are kind of the details that we have given to us as we dig into these sto- this story. She's a prostitute. They were staying there. The king sends a message and says, Give me these guys. And so she's faced with a dilemma. What's she gonna choose in this instance? Does she choose kind of the path that she knows? Does she say, Okay, here you go. I'll keep my life going as it is, I'll turn them over to you. You're the king, I'm not. Here it is. And then she continues on the path that's known. Or does she risk? Does she throw her life in the hands of these two spies from kind of a foreign group of people who have just recently come into the land who she hasn't even met? What would her decision be in that instance? Now, for us, we read this and we think, okay, I've heard this story before. They march around seven times. They blow some trumpets better than I did. And then the walls come tumbling down. Rahab made the right choice, right? But Rahab's in the middle of this story. She's figuring it out as she's living it. And so she's faced with this incredible decision, which could lead to her death if she chose the wrong way. If they weren't reliable, or if the king found out and he ended up winning, she could be the casualty in this. So what is she going to choose? We'll see that she chooses the spies because she wants her tomorrow to be different from her today. There is somebody who once said, if you don't like where you are, move. You're not a tree. It's about as blunt as you can get it, right? But that was the place that she was at. She was ready to move. And that leads to my first point this morning, that you always have a choice. Even in God-related situations, you have a choice. He doesn't dictate to you which path that you have to take, although sometimes we might think that that would be a little easier, a little nicer, uh, than uh, going, the, having to decide on our own. But he doesn't do that. In everything, we have a choice. We can stay comfortable, or we can risk. We can jump. And we have these choices in all kinds of situations. Sometimes we have short-term situations like job offers, uh, opportunities to buy a house that we didn't think was going to happen, all different types of short-term like immediate things. And then sometimes we have longer-term risks, right? Starting a new business, going back to school, getting a different degree and doing a complete and total career change. Uh, moving to a different town after you've lived where you've lived for lots of years. Uh, some people here have even moved countries. That's a pretty big change, right? That's a big risk to be able to make. We, we're faced with these long-term and these short-term decisions to make. And so, like Rahab, we need to ask the question, how do I make a godly choice in this situation? And risk doesn't have to be reckless. I think sometimes in church, we think that like, if God asks you to do something, it's kind of like when he first called the disciples, he went up to their boat and he was like, follow me guys. And they just immediately dropped everything and followed him. And that like every decision that we ever make for the rest of our life has to be that same type of thing. Otherwise we don't have any faith. I don't think that's actually true. I think there's some practicality to this. And I think God gives us tools to be able to be practical when we risk, when we follow him. Look at what Rahab's story, how it starts to unfold in verse four. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly and you may catch up to them. But she had already taken them to the roof and hidden them. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. She sets out a plan for herself. She hides them. She doesn't just say, no, king, I don't have them. Meanwhile, they're sitting in her living room. She hides them. She sets a plan. She starts to move forward with this plan. Healthy, God-led risk-taking involves a weighing of the realities. There's some logic to following Jesus and to doing the things that he he asks us to do. Jim Collins is a well-known business author. He wrote the book Good to Great, which I'm sure some of you have heard of. And he encourages people to ask these three questions when making a decision. He said, what's the upside if events turn out well? What's the downside if events turn out badly? And the last and probably most important question, can you live with the downside? Those are important things to ask, even if it's something that Jesus is asking you to do. Jesus really doesn't want us to just blindly do stuff that we can't live with. He wants us to be aware of what we're stepping into when he's asking us to jump. Rahab knew the answer to those questions, and so she moved forward. Now, I know one of the difficulties for us as followers of Jesus is sometimes balancing the practical versus the spiritual, right? How do we do that? How do we listen to Jesus and obey what he's telling us, and yet at the same time feel like we made a smart decision in our heart and that we've really weighed out everything in a way that we might kind of feel that we need to be able to weigh it out? Well, one of the tools that I found to be helpful in this is something called the Ignatian method of discernment. So Ignatius is this uh, priest from the 1500s, He's a pretty serious dude. He, uh, he became deathly ill, and then he was stuck in bed for like months on end. And so the whole time, well, probably not the whole time, but a lot of the time he prayed and he read his Bible and just invited the Holy Spirit to come and to speak to him. It was months and months on end. And so the Holy Spirit really spoke to him about a lot of things. And this is one of the things that came out of that time was this process that he lays out. And it's just simply a process for how to listen to the Holy Spirit and be aware of what's going on inside your head uh, as you're doing that thing, when, when you're making any sort of a decision. So I just want to walk through this. I, I want to give you tools for how to do healthy, godly risk-taking, okay? So if you have your bulletin, I put it on the back of your insert. If you want to look at that, you can. And let's just go down this. It's a, the first step is just to identify the decision that needs to be made. Essentially, just ask, what's the risk? What's in front of me? And then the next part I think is really crucial. You pray for an openness to God's will and freedom from making a judgment ahead of time. Does anybody else struggle with that other than me? I constantly do this. I go into things and I'm like, okay, God, yep, I'm listening. Meanwhile, in my head, I've already said like, point A is really what I want to happen. Like I've made this decision. And so being intentional about praying and saying, okay, Jesus, Somehow I need you to like help me to not do that. I need you to help me to be able to set my kind of my desires aside a little bit to listen to you in this process, to listen to what he's saying to us. And then be practical, gather the info, talk to the experts, Uh, talk to the other people who are involved in the decision that you're looking to make. Uh, That's always a good thing, right spouses? Uh, You want to gather the data, the info in front of you, the numbers. If you're a numbers person, maybe this makes you a little excited. Gather all of that stuff. Really weigh it well. Gather what you need to do. And then again, pray over that. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you for God's will. Then evaluate. Again, practical advantages, disadvantages, pros, cons. I think this next part is kind of the, like the real treasure in this. And that's that you need to pay attention to your feelings and to your emotions in the decision making process. I don't think we're told very often to pay attention to our emotions in a decision making process. I think often we're told that you kind of need to be cold hard and calculated and make the best business decision, so to speak, no matter what it is, whether it's marriage, having kids, or starting a business. You just need to weigh everything and kind of shut down your emotions a little bit in it. But it's helpful to weigh your emotions, to be aware of what's going on. And I want to add that it's helpful to be aware of your fear. Because there's two types of fear in decision-making. One is a fear that's motivated just simply by the unknown, which is kind of healthy, right? You're stepping into something new. You should be a little like nervous, like, okay, I'm not quite sure that I'm ready for this. That's healthy. But the other is a fear that's motivated by self-preservation that's motivated by an avoidance of pain. For me, in risk-taking, that's my my danger zone, is that avoidance of pain thing. When I see myself starting to be uh, drawn by an avoidance of pain, I know that I'm in a bad spot, that I'm not actually aware of what the Holy Spirit's saying, that I'm just making a decision based on my own natural impulses. And then ask the Holy Spirit to highlight the feelings of consolation. Consolation is one of those uh, kind of funny older words that we don't use very often, Uh, but it just means the the feelings, the spots uh, where you see kind of God working in your emotions. When you have greater joy, when you have greater trust, dependence, courage, deeper love, deeper enthusiasm. If you have two choices in front of you and one of them is filled with dread and fear and one of them is filled with joy and deeper love for other people, There's no decision to make. Go that way. Go the route that's filled with joy and deeper love for other people every single time. God doesn't lead us down paths that are filled with dread, that are filled with deep fear. He doesn't do that. That's not how God works. Somehow that snuck in a little bit to how people feel about God, but that's not how God leads us. So pay attention to that, to the way that the Holy Spirit's speaking, and then pray and pray and pray and invite other people to be praying with you for, uh, for your guidance in the decisions. Don't just make decisions on your own, but invite other people to pray with you. You know, the kinds of risks that God invites us into are not plans. They're not risks that require us to throw the plan out. You don't have to be brain dead to follow Jesus. You have to be intentional about listening to the Holy Spirit, about listening to Jesus. And it requires a willingness to be able to jump when Jesus asks you to jump. That's what's necessary in following him well. And the beautiful thing is that he never asks you to jump without showing you his faithfulness ahead of time. Look at Joshua 2 again with me. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Rahab knew whose side God was on. Before Jesus leads you anywhere, he shows you who he is. He gives you spots of remembrance of his faithfulness. So what are those spots for you? Like I said, I really did not risk in any meaningful way, uh, career-wise, relationship-wise, anything, until I was about 27, 28. And since then, i graduated from seminary, lived in four states, uh, pastored at two churches, church planted, gotten married, and am in the process of adopting. So <laughs> God can change things in a hurry, if you're willing, if you're open to it. Now, your story will probably not be the same as mine. I, I'll pray that for you that it's not the same. That's a lot of, that's a lot of craziness uh, in a few short years. But each step that I've taken, I've been able to look back and say, okay, this feels like I'm bending to a space that I'm not sure I can actually bend anymore. But I know when I was in Providence that God gave me the grace to do this. I know that when I was in Connecticut that God gave me the grace to do this. I know that when I left my home and moved to Pittsburgh that God gave me the grace to do it. I saw God provide. I saw God give me exactly what I needed in each and every one of those instances. And so I was able to lean back into it and say, Okay, God, I know that I have places of your faithfulness that I can lean into. I know I have spots that even when it feels too much for me that I can look at and say, it's never been too much for me before because God's already provided in the exact ways that I needed him to provide. When you have those sorts of moments, when you like Rahab can say, we saw what God did to the Egyptians and we saw what he did to those other kings, when you have those places where you can lean into it, all of a sudden risk starts to become a lot less terrifying because you're not risking as much. All you are is you're just placing it all in with God, a God who has already shown you that he will take care of you, a God who has already proven to you that he will provide, that he'll give you exactly what you need in each and every moment of your journey. You can lean into that and rely on that reality. And lastly, like Rahab, it's important to remember that godly risks are about more than you. Look at how she ends her conversation with the spies in verse 12. Now then swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you'll spare the lives of my family and that you will save us from death. I love Rahab's heart in this because she says the thing, when you get down to the bottom of it, the thing that matters the most to me is not just that I get a new turn. It's not just that I get a career change, that my life looks different. The thing that matters the most to me is that you save all of my family. It's about more than just me in this. Sure, there's fringe benefits for me. But the thing that's the most important is that you're going to save everybody else, that you care for them. That's what I'm looking for. When God leads you to a fork in the road, when he asks you to risk, to jump, He's not just doing it so you can have a bigger paycheck. He's not just doing it so you can have a nicer house. He's not just doing it so you can live in a city that you like more or so that you can have beautiful children or whatever, fill in the blank, so you can have a relationship that you're really excited and happy about. Those are good things. But when God leads you to those places, as a follower of Jesus, it's not just about you anymore. You, when you decided to follow Jesus, you stepped into a bigger and better playing field than the one you were on before. You're no longer in a movie where happy smiles and joyful tears at the end are enough to make you content with what happens. Now you're a part of God's plan working in our world. So when he leads you to do something, when he leads you to risk, to jump, to step out in ways that are kind of might feel beyond you or in ways that you're excited about, but maybe a little tepid about, he's not just doing it so you can be more content from nine to five or have a bigger paycheck. He's doing it so that he can reach the world through you. He's doing it so that you can be His hands and feet in your neighborhood, at your job, so that you can show other people who Jesus is and what He's about in your world. It's about doing the work of Jesus. It's about showing the love of Jesus to everybody that's around us. It's about caring for the poor, the neglected, the broken, and the hurting. We're called to step forward to risk so that the kingdom of God can reach people who would otherwise have not been touched by the love and the reality of who Jesus is and what he wants to come and do in their lives. That's the reason that he calls us to jump. It's for others. Exactly. It's for others. That's the whole thing about why we do this, why we risk for Jesus so that others can know him. So look at the end of Rahab's story. Verse 17. The men said to her, The oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless you have tied this scarlet cord in the window and unless you have brought your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. As for those who are in your house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. I love her final step. She immediately, when they leave, ties it in the window. She said, okay, the decision's made. I'm going all in. I'm tying it up. I'm setting it out there. It's your turn, God. Your turn to to show me your faithfulness in this. Your turn to work. I've put my, my hands, my life in your hands, the cords in the window. And her life was dramatically changed due to this. If you've read the Old Testament, you know that prostitutes were not held in very high esteem. Uh, in fact, they were really shunned and put to the side. So it's astonishing when you read the New Testament to see what they say about Rahab. They talk about her twice, once in Hebrews and once in James. In Hebrews it says, by faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who are disobedient. And then James says, in the same way, not even Rahab the prostitute considered, uh, not was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. A prostitute considered righteous by a firm israelite that's astonishing the bible is filled with stories of grand reversals right that's one of my favorite parts of it it's these people whose lives were just one 180 completely turned around changed but a prostitute being called righteous a word that implies purity a word that in- implies kind of uh holiness before god a prostitute is called righteous because she was willing to risk because she stepped out and did what it was that God had asked them to do rahab's willingness to change to step out and to risk changed every single thing in her life. She was then a she was an ancestor of jesus she was the great grandmother of the greatest kings in the history of Israel. her lineage was like the best that you could possibly get. And she's called righteous because she was willing to risk. And friends, let me encourage you. If you're willing to risk for Jesus, if you're willing to step out into the path that he's asking you to step out into, whatever that is, big, small, in between, it doesn't matter. Your life will be changed in just as dramatic of a way. Your life will look so different afterwards that people are going to be like, can you believe that that person is now talked about like this? It, it, it will change everything about you if you're willing to risk for Jesus in the way that Rahab did. And so, what's the scarlet cord in your hand? What's the thing that you're being invited into this morning that Jesus is handing to you, asking you to step forward into? If the worship team wants to come back up. And if everybody wants to just stand with me, the way I want to end... This morning before we go into a time of worship is just to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to speak to us about what he's asking from us. So if you're sitting here, if you're well, standing here now and you're saying, okay, I know what it is, or you're saying, I feel like I'm invited into something, but I'm not quite sure what it is. I want to just invite you to open up your hands and I want to pray for us. That we can be aware of what the holy spirit's wanting to say to us how he's wanting to lead us in our lives so let's pray jesus i just ask for you right now to come and to speak to us reveal to us what you're wanting to do in our lives i pray for those of us who are at a fork in the road in lots of different areas, lots of different ways, that there's there's risks that have been put out there in front of us. I pray right now for each and every one of us that's true of us, for you, Holy Spirit, to come down and begin to speak. Come and reveal your plans for our lives. We just say that we're willing, that we're willing to jump if you ask us to jump. We're willing to risk where you ask us to risk willing to put our, ha- our life in your hands for you to come and to move and to change us. And Jesus, I do just pray for grand reversal stories here in our church. Grand reversal stories in our community of people who, like Rahab, kind of put that scarlet cord in their window that begin to change things and are astonished by what it is that you've done in their life. That are astonished by the ways that you've used them the ways that you've allowed them to be a part of your plan of bringing your kingdom into our world. We ask for that, Jesus. Thank you for speaking to us, for showing us. Thank you for being faithful to us in each and every situation. In Jesus' name, amen.